I've told you before, this is the best seat in the house right here. You, you have to look at the back of the person's head in front of you. I get to look into your faces. I love this part of the day. Good morning. Pastor Mark, I think, mentioned to you last week, he and Terry are in Texas on purpose. They went to Texas. He's uh, preaching this morning at uh, a small little church that's uh, reached out to the Rock to see if we might come alongside them in some capacity. So he's going to meet with our leadership team there and see how what the Lord may want us to do. And he's also looking at uh, some other another situation. I think he mentioned to you we have 30 or so people leaving from Southern California to go to that place in Texas that need a church. And perhaps the Lord is asking us to help plant a church there or something. We'll see. We're just pursuing God one step at a time. It's a wonderful thing to do, one step at a time. So he'll be back next week. I'm sure he'll tell us how it went. I can't wait to find out. So put on your best memory of uh, 1970s, 1980s. There was a series of movies that Clint Eastwood made. I wonder if you remember them. He played this really tough detective, Inspector Callahan. Harry Callahan in San Francisco. Remember his nickname, Dirty Harry? Remember those movies he made? In one particular movie, I forget which one it was, but he went up against this corrupt police lieutenant. And the lieutenant's name was Lieutenant Briggs. My name is Dave Briggs. I'm no relation. So he's, he's battling the whole movie. He's going up against this tough lieutenant. And at the very end, the bad guy thinks he's won. <clears throat> and Harry, Dirty Harry watches the bad guy make his getaway. But the bad guy ends up getting blown up in his own car, with his own bomb. And the camera comes in close on Dirty Harry, and just the slightest little smile appears on his face, because he scowls through most of the movie. And the little smile, and the camera comes in close, and he says one of the famous lines from that series, you might remember, he says, a man's got to know his limitations. Remember that line? A man's got to know his limitations. We're going to see for ourselves that we have limitations. Harry, Dirty Harry was right. We have to know our limitations. We, we all have them. We have limitations in our talent, in our experience, in our energy, in our life. All kinds of limitations. But then we open our Bible and we see that God wants to give us an unlimited life. Fill our life with unlimited things. What does that mean, to live an unlimited life? What does that mean? We're going to find out because Paul's going to tell us. You picked an awesome day to come to church for what we're going to read today. So first let's pray. Father, we never want to just come in and open our Bibles without first stopping, quieting our heart, and realizing we need your Spirit to be our teacher. Father, you're going to reveal truth to us that is bigger and broader than our minds can comprehend. So we need your Spirit to, to, to give it to us a little at a time so we can take it in. And that's what we pray for today, Father. Please clear away all the other distractions we have going on in our life. And for the next half hour, just let us focus on you. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to see you in a new way so that we leave here changed. I pray that the power of your word, the truth of your word, would change each one of us today. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. If you turn there, please. I'll turn there. My bookmarks I use are getting smaller and smaller as I pulled on them. Pretty soon I'm not going to have any bookmark 
left. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. You remember last week, Pastor Mark gave us a homework assignment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you did it, but it was a wonderful assignment. Do you remember what it was? I'm sure you do. (laughs) He asked us to come before God and to say this prayer to God. Lord, what, what gift, what grace have you given me that you're asking me to be a steward of, that you're asking me to use for you? We all have limitations, just like Dirty Harry said. But you know what's wonderful? We never, never have to worry about our limitations when we're doing the work that God has called us to do. They're just not important. Why is that? Remember when Mark taught us out of chapter 3 last week? I wrote it down. He said this. He said the gift that God graces you with, the gift that God graces you with, is fueled by the power that God will possess you with. You remember that? Whatever God calls you to to do, whatever he calls you to do, he's going to give you his power to do it. Paul, remember in verse uh, 8 of chapter 3, considered himself to be the least of all the saints. Yet God took the least of all the saints and he became the most uh, powerful missionary, biggest missionary of all time and wrote most of the New Testament, or at least a lot of the New Testament. Pastor Mark also showed us last week that whenever, whatever we feel the Lord calling us to do, Let's not sit back and make excuses about why we're not qualified. Let's just make ourselves available to the Lord. Let's rely on God to lead us and empower us wherever he wants us to go. So that's a very quick overview of the first part of chapter 3. If you missed it last week, I highly recommend to you uh, go online and listen to it online. Here's the outline for what we're going to do for the rest of the chapter. We're going to start with a stunning prayer. A stunning prayer. And then finish with a glorious doxology. So, if you have your Bibles open now, we're going to read together. Do you, do you feel a tingle of anticipation when you open your Bible? Or, or even if it's just turning on your tablet, do you feel that? I know sometimes, maybe it's routine. We just open our Bible. Just flip through our... We are, when we open the Word of God, we are confronted with we are, we are spoken to from the heart and mind of the living God. Each time we open our Bible, he has something amazing to say to you. What does he want to say to you today, right now? Do you know? You're about to find out because we're going to read it together. Let's read together verses 14 to 21 of Ephesians chapter 3. If you have seat belts, put them on because this is amazing. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul begins 
with words that are probably familiar to you now that we've been through Ephesians for a while. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, what reason? Paul's referring back to what he said earlier in chapter 3 that I just went over very quickly. Specifically three things. That he's speaking about the grace that was given to him to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He's talking about how there is no longer any separation in the family of God between Jew and between Gentile. And finally, he's talking about the access that we all have to God. This is why he's bowing his knees before God. He and we have access to God. Do you remember what Pastor Mark taught us last week about access to God? Remember he said that, you know, most of us probably don't have access to the people we'd like to talk to. We probably can't get the mayor on the phone. We probably can't talk to our favorite pro athlete or maybe a celebrity or someone else we want to speak to. But each one of us can have bold, confident access to the living God through Christ. Everyone who trusts in Jesus, every single one of us that trusts in Christ, are adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. And if you're in God's family, you're on a mission. You have a mission. Our mission is to love God with all our hearts and to love each other just as Christ has loved us. I'm coming to a little bit of a hard part for me here, but I I just need to give you a personal note about the love of Christ, the love of the family, because my mother, as you probably know, went home to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. Uh, Jean Briggs Seacrest. She used to greet on Saturday nights. You probably saw her wheeling around on her little walker around here. Um, So she passed away on July 19th, and we had a celebration service for her on August 1st. I don't have the words to thank you for how well, how well you loved her, how well you loved our family, your, your text messages, your, your prayers. Oh, we felt your prayers, your cards, the postings online, the food you brought, coming to the service, helping in the service, everything. Far exceeded all of our expectations for just the outpouring of love. You, When I read this passage, I just couldn't help but see, like Paul, I bowed my knees in prayer of gratitude for you all. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you is too small of a word. Notice in verse 14, Paul wrote, I bow my knees. He didn't say I bend my knees. A bend A bend is like this. A bend is just a little courtesy, a little gesture of respect to somebody in authority, like a king or something. Paul wrote, I bowed my knees. This is a different posture altogether. This bowing is a posture of wholehearted gratitude and complete submission. You and I, we are physical beings. Our spirits live in these bodies that we travel around in. So posture affects how we pray. Back in Paul's day, it was common for people to stand up and pray with their hands raised. But for us, you know, it doesn't all, it really doesn't matter what position you're in when you pray, but sometimes we just need to get down on our knees before the Lord. Even if you have old creaky knees that are going to protest when you do it, it's still worth it. Please turn to me, uh, with me to Psalm uh, 95. We're going to read the first six verses of Psalm 95 together. This psalm shows us what it means to have bowed knees and bowed hearts before the Lord. While you're turning there, think about this with me. Sometimes, do you ever worry that you don't pray eloquently enough? Do you ever worry about that? 
I think sometimes we worry too much about our words. Beautiful prayer can be silent. Beautiful prayer can be full of stammers and wrong grammar. Because beautiful prayer is the prayer that God hears. And God never listens to our words. He only listens to our hearts. If we want to pray effectively, we need to be reading our Bibles. We need need to read our Bibles to get on the same page with God. One theologian said it this way. I love it. He said, you have your Bible and you have your knees. Use them. Love that. You have your Bible, you have your knees. Use them. So as we read the first six verses of Psalm 95 together, listen, if you can, to the heart of the psalmist. Listen to this heart. And see if these words reflect our heart attitude when we bow before the Lord. Verse 1 of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Is that stunning? Is that gorgeous prayer? Wow. The next time you pray, not while you're driving. Next time you pray and you're not driving, spend some time on your knees. Take this psalm. Take Psalm 95. Read it to the Lord. Spend time on your knees before your great God, the King of all gods, your Maker, and see if you don't pray differently. Okay, back to Ephesians 3. Let's read verses 14 to 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name, Paul is basically saying what we just read in Psalms. Paul is recognizing that God is the Father of Jesus. God is the Father of angels. God is the Father of all the souls of men for all time. God is our Maker. So he bows before his Maker. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth derive his name. Verse 16, That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. You know, most of Paul's prayers were not for physical things. You think of all the physical hardships Paul confronted, he seldom prayed for physical things. Most of his prayers were for the spiritual welfare of others. We have a great church. We pray for each other's physical needs all the time, and that's wonderful, but we must remember we have to pray for each other's spiritual needs. Look at the language of verse 16, if you can there. Paul prays for God to give us strength and power. How? According to the riches of his glory. Do you see what this is saying about prayer? God answers our prayers not from a limited capacity. God does not answer our prayers while supplies last. God answers our prayers from his inexhaustible storehouse, his magnificent warehouse where his riches are never ending. All glory belongs to God because he gives to us According to his unlimited heart, instead of to the narrowness of our hearts. God makes the undoable doable. He makes the impossible possible. Because when God answers us according to his riches, there are no limits. There are no limits at all. When you were little, did you get an allowance 
from your parents? As the sons and daughters of God, we get an allowance too. And the good news for us is God does not give us his allowance out of some singy, small, restricted budget. He gives to us according to his unlimited riches. But you know what? I see a lot of you smiling. This is a good thing to be. You're not going to get any bad news today. It's good to smile. This is really wonderful news. How do we receive this strength? How do we receive this power and his riches? Look at verse 16 again. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. God empowers us through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Where does that power go? Into our muscles? It's kind of sad, isn't it? Into our muscles? No. Verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. What is the inner man? The inner man is our inner self. It's our soul. It's our spirit. It's the real you. It's the real me. For the unbeliever, the inner man and the outer man are pretty much the same because both are controlled by the things of this world. But for the believer, our inner person, our inner self, our spirit is so much different than our outer person, so much different than our flesh. Our inner self has been redeemed. We have been set free. We've been born again. We're new in Christ. Our inner self seeks the things of God, not the things of this world. Do you want some great news? As if you haven't had enough already. You want some great news? Brian, put 2 Corinthians on the screen for you. Look at this. This is great news. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Unlike our physical bodies that are in the process of decaying, our inner selves, the real you, the real me, we're getting better with age. The Word of God proves it. Our soul, our spirit, is as real as our body. But sometimes we tend to spend more time and attention on our bodies than on our spirits, on our souls. That's why you'll see a lot of believers with fine, healthy bodies, but weak, undernourished spirits. In America, when we sit down to a, a good meal, we say, dig in. Right? Have you ever heard that? Dig in. I was in Australia, and they say, tuck in. Tuck in. I think that's fun. We need to dig in or tuck into God's Word as our daily diet. We need to have a daily diet of God's Word. If we don't, we're going to live undernourished, very limited spiritual lives. But there is no limit to what God can do. No limit at all to what God's going to do in your life and my life when we feed on His Word and desire to obey His Word. Let's keep reading. This is just going to keep getting better. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. And now, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There are two Greek words that mean to dwell. One word means a temporary stay. Sort of like when you go to a hotel. When you go to a hotel, you don't show up with a moving van. You just bring enough luggage. Some of you probably bring too much luggage. But you just bring enough to stay your time and then you're going to check out and you're gone. The other word for dwell means to settle down permanently. Not temporarily, permanently. This is the word that Paul uses here in verse 17. When Jesus dwells in our hearts, he takes up permanent, permanent residence. Permanent. He's not leaving. He's not checking out. 
When Jesus moves into our hearts, he finds a pretty big mess, at least in my heart. He confronts our human nature that is not a good housekeeper. We store lots of worthless, ugly, and stinky stuff in our hearts, and the Lord has to clean house. When Jesus moves in, we tend to resist. It's our nature to resist his house cleaning, don't we? We say, Jesus, go ahead and tidy up the kitchen and the attic, but stay out of my room. And for heaven's sake, don't go in my closet. And, oh, Jesus, um, it's okay for you to be visible when my church friends are over, but make yourself scarce when I'm entertaining others, okay? C.S. Lewis said it this way. It's going to be up on the screen for you. This is one of my favorite quotes from from C.S. Lewis. He says, imagine that you, imagine yourself as a living house. Imagine that you are a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping all the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that great? You are a palace. How does Jesus enter our hearts? How does he come into our house? By force? No, by faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus waits for us to invite him. He waits for the invitation. Faith means that we put our trust in Christ. And then we continue to surrender our messy hearts to him day after day. Every day we ought to get up again and, Lord, I'm surrendering the mess in my heart to you one more time. Look at the rest of verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. When you see the word rooted, I want you to picture the biggest tree you've ever seen with roots that go down so far that tree cannot be moved no matter what. When you see the word grounded, picture a massive building standing so strong on that rock solid foundation. It's not going anywhere. Our root, our foundation is love. Love for Christ and love for each other. Our passage is teaching us something we need to understand. We cannot experience the full love of God in our life without having genuine, spirit-empowered love for others. Would you like to see some more amazing things about the love of Christ? You're nodding at it. Of course you do. That's why you came to church today. You picked such a good day. Look at this. This is absolutely amazing about God's love. We're going to keep reading on into verse 18 and 19, but I'm going to start with 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded, picture those, in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As believers, as believers, we get to explore Every dimension of God's love. That's verse 18. That's the promise of verse 18. And verse 19 says, tells us it's a love so vast we're never going to reach its limits. As God is going to continue to pour himself into your life and my life. Verse 18, we'll start there. Boldly declares that God's love is 
real. It's real. It's not fiction. It's real. It has dimensions. It has breadth and length and height and depth. Let's look a little more closely at these four divine measurements. Let's start with this. Is love has breadth. Love of God has breadth. Like an ocean, we can measure God's love by how much it covers. His love is so wide that it covers all of our sins. Past, present, future. His love is so wide that it covers every circumstance of our lives so that all things work together for good. You know, the more we grow in our faith, the more we grow in our knowledge of Him, the more His love, the more His power, the more His blessing just flows into our lives. But the opposite is also true. Our lack of faith restricts the flow of God's blessing, reflects, makes our lives more limited. You ever, you're ever out there using your hose and you get a kink in it? Isn't that irritating? <laughs> ah, I got a kink. You got to go back and fix it. it. Just shuts off the flow. That's what our lack of faith does when we don't trust God. It's like we're, we're out there working. God's pouring his life through us. We get a kink in the hose. God's love has breath. It has length as well. How long will the Lord love us? Jeremiah 31.3. We're not going to turn to it. Let me just read it to you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know, at our marriage ceremonies, we, we promise to love our mates until death separates us. That's not God's promise. God's promise to us is that he will love us forever. He will, his love is everlasting. It will never end. Not only, not only does his love never end, it has always existed. There's never been a time when God did not love you. Turn, you're in chapter 3. Turn back a few pages to Ephesians 1, verse 4. Try, if you can, to get your mind around this. Okay? Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. God loved us before the foundation of the world. God loved us before the world was created. God loved us before we were created. This is eternity past. How long is God's love? So long it has no beginning, has no end. God's love has breadth, it has length, it has height. How high does God's love go? You're in chapter 1, turn to chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 4 to 6. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. Let's see how high his love is. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us where? With him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's love is so high, it takes us up to heaven. His love lifts us from the lowest low to the highest high. So his love has breadth. His love has length. It has height. It has depth. How deep is his love? Let's, you're in Ephesians. Turn to the next book in the Bible. Philippians, please. Philippians 2, 5-8. to Let's see if we can measure the depth of His love. How deep is His love? Philippians 2, 5-8 to says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Lord proved the depth of his love for you and for me by emptying himself and going to that awful cross to die for you and for me to save us. The cross is the best place we can go if we want to see all the dimensions of God's love. His love is wide enough to include every single person on earth that wants it. His love is long enough to have no beginning and no end. His love is high enough to take us to heaven and it's deep enough to reach even the worst sinner. Let's continue on to verse 19, but I'm going to start with verse 17 of Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is that breadth and length and height and depth, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Verse 19 probably raises a question in your mind. How can we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? How can we know something that's unknowable? The, the answer comes in the grammatical tense that Paul used for the word know. The, word, the tense he used means to continually gain knowledge, to continually know, to continually grow in your knowledge over time. The full love of Christ is so big, so broad, so wide, so eternal, we can't get our minds around it. We can't grasp it. But we can understand. We can know. We can experience new dimensions, new aspects of Christ's love in our life, minute by minute, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance. You know what the life of the believer is supposed to be? The life of the believer is supposed to be a never-ending treasure hunt where we just go through life and wherever we go, the Lord finds the most unexpected ways to reveal the riches of His love to us. The more we learn about His love, the more we get become filled up, not with ourselves, but filled up to all the fullness of God. What does that mean? That means we become full of His love and grace. Filled with the righteousness of Christ. Filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Filled with His words for our, His food for our soul. And filled with a growing knowledge of godly things, heavenly things, divine things, and full of his plan for our lives. This is the goal. This is the goal of the Christian life right here, to be filled up to the fullness of God. In other words, to become like Christ. Each one of us, each and every one of us can be God-filled, can be Spirit-filled. And the more we fill ourselves with God, the less room we have for our own selfish nature. It's a wonderful trade. Paul sure packs a lot into a short prayer, doesn't he? Isn't it amazing the way we see God in this prayer? But this is one of the greatest blessings of faithful prayer. It expands our view of God. Prayer is like taking a glass elevator. Have you ever ridden in a glass elevator to a a tall, tall building? In prayer, the higher you go, the more your view spreads out, the the more epic God becomes, and that horizon keeps spreading. And the best part is, even when you get to the top of your prayer, your your breath is taken away because you realize as far as you can see, God goes farther. As deep as you can see, He goes deeper. Farther beyond all that we can see or understand. 
This is the sense of awe we read in Psalm 95. This is the sense of awe that Paul is feeling when he writes his glorious doxology that we come to now, the last two verses. This is Paul's crescendo of joyful thanksgiving and overwhelming confidence in the Lord. I have to ask you what I've been asking myself all week. Do you and I go through life with joyful confidence? Joyful thanksgiving? Overwhelming confidence? Do you expect big things from God? Do you expect unlimited things from God? How big is your God? I've been asking myself that all week. Paul's doxology not only belongs to the prayer we just read, but it belongs to everything Paul has written about in the first three chapters. So we're going to read now verses 20 to 21. I'm going to read it slowly to savor it. Because I'm so grateful Pastor Mark allowed me to have this passage to study because this we're about to read is one of my very favorite places in all of Scripture. Verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's look at verse 20, just a few words at a time. It's important. Now. The word now. Paul uses this word to draw our attention to what he's about to say. He's saying, this is really important. Don't miss it. Okay? So don't miss it. Now, to him, this introduces the subject of the vital information. Paul is going to tell you something about God you absolutely have to know. Don't miss it. Now, to him who? Who is a relative pronoun. It means we're about to find out what kind of God the Lord is. Don't miss it. Now, to him who is able. God is a can-do God. What can he do? Don't miss it. To him Now, to him who is able to do, here it is, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. No human language is powerful enough to describe God. So we're seeing here Paul, and we're seeing the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, running out of words. So Paul had to invent his own to try to explain the unexplainable. A more literal translation of Paul's words would be, God is able to do things super abundantly above the greatest abundance. That's our God. He is, he is able to do things super abundantly above the greatest abundance. God's ability to bless you and me, God's ability to give us unlimited life, exceeds all measurements, all expectations, and all descriptions. Whatever words we use to describe God, whatever thoughts we have in our head about God, are way too small. Do you see what this is telling us about our Lord? This is so much fun. We get to pray really big prayers. We get to think really, really big thoughts about the Lord. And you know what? We haven't even scratched the surface. We have your best day, your best thoughts, your, your best prayer. You haven't even scratched the surface about what God is able to do. Wow, this is our God that we get to kneel before. This is the, our God that we get to have bold, confident access to. We can walk right up to his throne and have a one-on-one conversation with this God. So, whatever you're worried about today, whatever has you just distracted, let's stop doubting the Lord. Let's stop putting kinks in that hose. Let's joyfully, confidently fall on our knees.
before him who is able to do not all that we ask, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I have to make an important note here. Paul is not preaching what some call the prosperity gospel. Just got to say it. False teachers take passages of scriptures like this and incorrectly conclude and twist the word of God to say that God is promising us to bless us with incredible material things. If we have enough faith. Yeah, don't just pray for a Ford, pray for a Ferrari. That kind of nonsense. False teachers say, if you want to be rich, like they are from your money, they don't tell you that part. If you want to be rich, you just need to name it and claim it. Right? Blab it and grab it. That's not what this is teaching. God indeed blesses us with material things. We live in America. God has blessed us with material things. But the things that Paul is talking about, the riches that God is telling us in in, uh, Ephesians 3 are far more valuable than all the wealth in the world. People that pray only for material things, they usually complain that their wish list, their greed list, far surpasses the answers to prayer they're getting because they are praying for that Ferrari and they're not getting it. But those of us who seek the riches of God, every single one of us can testify with honesty and joy that God blows us away. He blesses our socks off. His answers to our prayers exceeds our wildest dreams. God blesses us with things no amount of money can buy. Things like indescribable peace. Unexpected strength. Where did that come from? Unexpected strength. Unexplainable joy. So much more, no matter our circumstances. The only true measure of God's power is God himself. And look where God's power is on display. 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power where that works within us. God's power fills the heavens. It fills the universe. But God, God does his greatest work inside of the heart of the believer. Unfortunately, we have to finish the passage. I don't want to, but we need to. So let's go on. Let's read 20, but 21, but I'm going to start with verse 20. Just to hear it one more time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The only fitting response you and I can have to this is to give God glory. And not just in our hearts, but in the whole church. Not just this church, but in all believers all over the planet. Glorious praise should radiate wherever God's family gathers. We are His redeemed. Because of Jesus, you and I are the sons and daughters of this living God. Our family, the church, is called to glorify God in all that we do to all generations, forever and ever. Daniel, where are you? Daniel, if you want to start making your way back up, I'm about to close. I know. I know what you're feeling. It's challenging to read a passage like this and maybe realize there's quite a gap, quite a gap between maybe the unlimited life that God is promising us and maybe the life you're currently living. Maybe you see quite a distance. Maybe you wouldn't define your life as an unlimited life. In our inner life, in our inner man, in our inner selves, in our souls, we want to live unlimited lives. We want all of the fullness of God in our lives. But we have this flesh. We have those limitations that Clint Eastwood warned us about. 
We question the Lord. We doubt His Word. We resist what He wants us to do in our lives. But come on, we cannot have read this passage today and go out of here with our heads down thinking, oh, woe is me. We need to go out with our heads up saying, great is He. That's what we need to do. If we have put our faith in Christ, then He dwells permanently, forever in our hearts, in our lives. This is great news. Every single one of us should wear one of those pins. Maybe you've seen it. It it has letters on it. It stands for, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. God is in the process. It's a process. A lifelong process. God is in the process of filling us with Himself. He's in the process of teaching us what it means to live an unlimited life. He is in the process of making us like Christ. The pain. The pain we feel when we fail God, just like the joy we feel when we succeed and God gives us victory, is the proof, both the failure and the success, is proof that God is working in our life. We need to be patient. God has a lot of work to do with each one of us. But praise the Lord, because God always finishes His work to perfection. Our prayer team is going to be over here to pray with you at the end of this song. Let us, let me close us in prayer. Father, we, we bow before you, God our Father, realizing we often focus too much on our failures and, and, and not enough on the victory we have in you, in Christ. Thank you for not giving up on us, Lord, even though we often feel like giving up on ourselves. Thank you for your unlimited love and riches. Thank you that you want to just bless us beyond our expectations. Please strengthen us with your power through your Spirit. Dwell in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Allow us to discover day by day more about the breadth and length, height and depth of your love for us. Fill us up to all the fullness of God. Make us everything you created us to be. Now, to you, Lord, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to you, Dear Lord, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.